Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 253, and our guest is Dave from Alaska. Just a couple of episodes ago, we chatted with Steve and Tyler about their recent sheep hunting experience in Alaska. And our guest today, Dave, is someone that they stayed with uh, for a brief time on that trip up there. It was uh, an old buddy of Tyler's. Steve met Dave for the first time on that trip. And when he got back, Steve told me, man, we got to get Dave on the podcast. And so that's what we're doing today. We talk with Dave, who, as you'll hear, is uh, a former Marine. He's currently 60. He's been living in Alaska for years and does a lot of solo true mountain hunting. And so someone not only with uh, decades of experience, but also that to this day hunts in very difficult conditions and does it solo and at 60 is still not only uh, just hunting in general, but hunting uh, in a very adventurous and aggressive way. We wanted to learn from Dave. And so we partially talk um, about training in this one, which is you know, a conversation we've hit over the years many times with different guests, and I always love to have more input on that, and particularly from someone like Dave, because it's 60 uh, in, let's see, 24 years for me, I want to still be doing the things I'm doing now, and I want to be doing the things at 60 that Dave is doing at 60 today. So I want to learn from Dave. I hope you guys do too. There is a lot of good information in this one. And I think we'll have Dave on again, as you'll hear as we roll into this conversation with him. He's getting ready to take off on some hunts. And so I would love to catch up with Dave later this fall and hear some of those stories from his hunts. Before we do dive into that conversation with Dave, I want to thank Wes Daniel for sending us a message uh, with some feedback and a story from his hunt this fall. And just want to throw that to you guys as well, you listeners. If you have a story from a hunt, uh, we'd love to hear about it. See some photos, things like that. Shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And also, if you're enjoying the show, we'd love to see a review from you in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you're listening to this or something else that helps tremendously is just tell a friend, tell a buddy about the show that might benefit from it. So we thank you guys for the continued support and thank you for tuning in today. Let's dive right into this conversation with Dave. The sheep hunt starts uh, on the 1st of October. I'm thinking the weather's bad, you know, um, but I'm thinking about leaving tomorrow morning. Um, it's a 10-mile uh, a uh, approach. Uh, well, walk in a hike, a 10-mile approach up a, a drainage. And it's about a 5,000-foot climb to uh, a vantage point where um, I'm hopefully spend about 10 days and cat, you know, harvest a ram with a bow. And uh, the plan is to come off of that uh, 5,000 feet, come back down and uh, take a pack raft out oh. instead, of, instead of taking, uh, I, I've, I've done it already, I, but I haven't done it obviously with the pack raft or the, uh, the ram and all the weight. I've, mm. I've, uh, I've scouted it, I've climbed it, I've done all this stuff. Um, but just adding a hundred pounds of gear 
to a pack raft. Yeah. You know, it's kind of <laughs> it's very expensive and a lot of stuff, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So what type of pack raft are you using? And uh, um, I'm actually borrowing one. Um, alpaca. Does that sound right? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're uh, it's a double ender, so and it's bigger, and you can store the gear in the tubes. Um, oh. It's a it's it's one uh, the the one I'm borrowing is from a neighbor. He did the Yukon for about a month. Him and his wife floated the Yukon this summer for about a month, and they're big pack raft kind of people and and um he's man i'll let you borrow it and we're about the same size so i got the wetsuit and um wow i've i've done the i'm i'm a drift boat guy you know i've drifted the Kenai and i've been around boats most of my life and the one thing i will find that i did notice about the pack raft the navigation and and the dynamics of it are all pretty much the same it's just your look angle is so low that mm. by the time you see things it's almost like you're in an emergency right away you're constantly yeah, you're there. working Yes. Yeah. It, it'll rock your planet if you think that you can, you know, uh, stay off your A game, um, which has kind of got me shied away from carrying all that gear because, you know, you make a mistake, you know, you've lost a lot of your stuff. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dave, we're going to keep that in there uh, and just roll with that, talking about your upcoming hunt. Let's just kick off the show, though, kind of more officially with um, hearing a little about about who you are and just to give context for listeners before you do that uh steve and tyler were recently up in alaska on a sheep hunt and they uh stayed with you dave for a bit and as soon as steve got back he was telling me we got to get dave on the podcast like he's such a cool guy to talk to and has these experiences and knowledge and what have you so that's why we're why we're chatting today uh but just kick things off to both let listeners know and even me at this point it's funny because i normally go into a podcast knowing our guest a little bit or doing some research and things like that but i'm uh i'm in the listener's seat as well just getting to know you so kind of just fill us in on who you are what you're up to uh you're up in alaska kind of your history and maybe when you got there and things like that okay um well i i guess the 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 first um uh i I must admit i am 60 i don't know if that's going to turn off your viewers um (laughs) So, I, so I've been around the block before. I think I was introduced to the outdoors um, where your parents would just drop you off in the, in the woods and drive away. Um, and that was, uh, I soloed my first airplane before I could drive. I was 14. Um, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, up on Lake Superior. Um, the scale uh, of mountains obviously is much less, but um, I cut my teeth on ice climbing and bouldering. And back in the day where all you could do is read a book, there was no YouTube. Uh, you read a book and it said, hey, you know, this is what it's, it's supposed to sound like a pop when you sink your ice axe into the ice. And we'd do that and go, wow, was that a pop? Um, we just, we, we learned from experience um, and, and just doing it over repetition. Uh, I became an engineer. Um, I was an athlete my whole life. Uh, I played uh, hockey from the age of, skated from the age of two all the way up through college. Um, Was a Marine. I was a Marine for 22 years. I flew Phantoms and Hornets. Um, I've always been an an endurance athlete, whether it was hockey, um, uh, marathons. uh, I started running triathlons back when they first started the USTS Bud Light Series Triathlon in Southern California. Um, so as a part of that uh, buildup, um, 
And when I retired from the Marine Corps, I decided to fly for FedEx and fulfill my childhood dream and move to Alaska. Um, got up here, got back into the mountains again. I'm an avid backcountry skier. I'm in the mountains all the time, uh, whether it's uh, snow or a sunny day. Um, and like I said, I started climbing when I was a kid. And, and now that I've gotten older, I do a lot of high altitude climbing. I've summited many, many peaks uh, around the world. Um, to include Denali and uh, Aconcagua and the stuff in North and South America, a lot of numerous peaks. And um, I'm a solo mountain hunter. Uh, I've, uh, full disclosure, the reason why I'm solo is because I don't think a lot of guys pay attention or really do their homework about what it takes to be in the mountains and hunt. Um, I've been with a lot of guys doing it. We've, we've filmed DVDs and hunting shows and all sorts of stuff. And it really rocks people's planet when they really go out and do it and realize what a true mountain hunt is all about. And um, yeah, so from that, um, I'm getting ready here. I've, well, I've just finished a 24-week training program, and I start here in the next few days to go out and, and try to harvest a, a ram. Hmm. What got you? Uh, uh, when did you start climbing you know, the bigger mountains, high-altitude stuff? Was that after the Marine Corps, prior to that? Yes, after the Marine Corps. Obviously, when I was in the Marines, it's a, a, the, a, the naval service, so you're pretty much around water. Um, uh, and the flatlands. So uh, when I got back with, uh, with FedEx, we came up here and I immersed myself back into the mountains. Um, and um, on a side note, I started climbing. Uh, my youngest daughter's autistic and I was raising money for autism for a large uh, uh, autism research, uh, Flutie Foundation, things like that. Um, and people would pay me a penny a foot. So, um, yeah, that was uh, kind of a hobby of mine. Got back into it again and um, done a lot of work with uh, the like uh, Alaska Mountaineering School up here. Colby and Caitlin, the owners, um, I've been on uh, a part of teams where um, people from all over the world. I summited Denali the last time I went up. I had three Swiss climbers, Bjorn, Danny and Christoph. They were 26, 28 and 45 bankers out of Switzerland. Hmm. Uh, um, climbed with a girl, Raha Maharik. She's uh, the only woman that's um, summited all seven summits. Uh, the only Saudi woman. Um, you can see her on uh, the internet and television. She does a lot of work. Um, so yeah, um, so I've got a very background with climbing, both alpine and mount, uh, mountaineering. Um, and been with a lot of different types of people, learned a lot of different lessons and a lot of things to do and what not to do in the mountains. Mm. Um, and I like to share, you know, with you guys, um, along with the, uh, the training aspects. How do you be six? How are you 60 years old and still doing it? Yeah, I guess a lot of guys ask me. And, For sure. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, I want to get into that uh, training discussion uh, here shortly. You mentioned when you were talking about hunting and why you hunted so low, um, and you said what I caught was essentially guys don't pay attention to what it takes uh, to truly hunt in the mountains. What are some of those things? What are some of those experiences where you've hunted with other guys, other groups, things like that, and examples of them either not paying attention or maybe underestimating the mountains, the demands, what have you? 
Well, it's it's the biggest thing is I always tell people, you know, attitude gets you altitude, not athleticism. So it's mm. it's the mental toughness is what's key. And that's what fails miserably all the time, consistently. And it's not the not the physical capability because it's the mental capability. And if you ask any any guide here in Alaska, if you ask him what's their most disappointing thing about guiding, he'd say it's it's the client when the client after the third day, 72 hours in the mountain says, ah, let's just go down and shoot a caribou. And, you know, what goes through their mind is, God, you just spent all this money and we're we're almost there to get to the Rams and they they don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Uh, and it's it's really the mental toughness. Um, and that's the most important, I think. And to in, in the process of building your athleticism, um, you use your mental toughness. And I, and just to kind of segue into it, I, I have two things. When people say, okay, well, what do you mean? You know, everybody understands mental toughness. It's your ability to endure, you know, mentally. And they, I, I attribute your ability to endure mentally with two things. You got to practice your suffering. And you gotta, you gotta focus, and, and, and in doing so, you gotta focus on what feels good. Okay, practicing your suffering it basically is, is training. Okay, get sore. You know, 48 hours after your squats at the beginning of your season of training, it's, it sucks. You know, your legs are killing you. You know, you, you can't even get out of bed and, and put your shoes on. You know, you're, you know, whatever. So you gotta practice that. And being 60, I practice that a lot. You know, I mean, it's many, many, many seasons. I used to say there is no off season past 50. And, and that's, that's a big, no, that's, that's a big no, no. There is not there. You, you have to have seasons. You have to get away from it and come back to it because that builds your mental toughness. You, you, you gotta practice your suffering. But you, when I say focus on what feels good is, is what most people do. And this is, this is the biggest failure. I think of mountain hunters is everybody wants to pull the trigger, release the arrow on that animal and that's what they say they're going to do and that's what they focus on but to do that to get to that killing opportunity or harvesting opportunity there's a lot of suffering that takes place to get there and they don't realize that if you just focus on what feels good during that suffering you're going to get through that suffering and what i do is i call them mini summits Everybody's got a summit. Everybody wants to get to the top of Everest, Stockton, Cogba, Denali, Four Acre. They all want to get there. Got it. But you got to break down. You got to break it down into mini summits. And the minute you hit a summit, you, you've succeeded. And then right away, you, you, you're mental, you're, you're, you're mentally, you're just, you're, that feels good. I did it. Okay. So if you have a lot of I did it along the way, you're going to get there and go, wow, I made it. Um, so in, in, in the, in the hunting world, a mini summit would be something to the effect that, you know, you woke up in your tent and your plan, because you planned it the, the, the previous day is you want to go 750 feet up to a ledge to, a, to a scouting opportunity, you know, to, to an area to where you want to, you, you want to scout your Rams. You got a, it's a good opportunity. Did your map study and you go, Hey, I can see three bulls from up here. All right. So you open up your tent, you know, you, you wake up, you unzip your tent. And the minute that tent opens, you're hunting, you're glassing, 
you're looking, you're opening up your scan volume, you know, you're looking straight ahead, then you're looking side to side from 30 degrees either side and, and you sanitize your whole area around your tent because guys, you're in their living room, you know, goats and sheep and, and animals can be right by your tent while you've been sleeping. Because to them, if you don't snort, it's nothing more than a rock. And if they came in from upwind, guess what? They're gonna start grazing right around you. It's in the flats. There's usually probably good feed where your tent is, you know? And if you didn't know it, you may have been in where they have breakfast. You don't know. So you start hunting right away and you sanitize your area right away. And you, and you get out of the tent and you go, okay, man, I accomplished that. That was good. We didn't see anything. That's great. You know, and you do your chores around the tent. You know, you're living with the land. You're not living off of it. You're, you're, you're a part of it. You're in their living room. And everything you're doing around there has a function and you're hunting, you're doing it. Yeah, you're eating, you're trying to boil your water, but you're still hunting. You're still looking at the mountain, okay? All of a sudden you realize, wow, that, that white patch that's three inches in diameter, that, I'm in black shale, what's that doing there? And you realize that it moved, that's a ram. That ram's been there, it's at 150 yards, it's been there the whole time you've been boiling water. So you're doing things like seeing what you're looking at, you're hearing what you're listening to, you're hunting. Those are all little successes, you know, and, and, and so when all of that takes place, you sanitize your area, you've, you're successful and, and, and making sure that you haven't disturbed your environment and you want to prosecute that 750 foot climb to that ledge, you start and you have a route, you've picked it, you did a map study, you've seen it, you know, you've got your good intel because you put your eyeballs on it. And I always tell people as you commence that route, when you start to go up to that ledge, you look for a reason not to make it. You start your climb, you start working your way up, but you're looking for a reason not to make it up there. You're looking for all the objective hazards as we do in mountaineering. You're looking for the cornice. You're looking for the unstable rock. You're looking for the things that are dangerous as you go because you don't see those things, you know, 600 feet down. You only see those things when your hand's about ready to touch it. And so when you look for a reason not to make it and you get to that 750 foot ledge, you just had a mini summit. You did it successfully. And more importantly, you did it safely. And, and so um, by doing it safely, and believe me, I've, I've broken an arm solo sheep hunting in, in the Chugach Mountains and spent 18 hours in the tent with a busted arm and no fit painkillers. That ain't fun. And if anybody's ever tried to climb into a super cub with good you know, arms and legs, try it with a busted arm. It, it ain't, it ain't pretty. And so I learned a lesson. I did not look for a reason not to summit. And I, that's, I took that one away. I, I, you know, I, I was, I just wasn't paying attention and it's all it is, is was a, a, a foothold and, and it, it didn't hold. And as an athlete, as a mountain athlete, I just was like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. But I did. And I was alone. And thank God I had a sat phone. But anyway, that's a, mm. a, a side note. But again, it's, it's to, to, to pull back to it. So I haven't talked about anything with the biceps and how to improve them. It's, it's all about the mental toughness. And that's where the failure, that's where most of the failures take place. The mm. guys can be great athletes, but <clears throat> their training, whether they realized it or not, um, their training was training their brain um, to be tough. I mean, they did their due diligence. I mean, they're in good shape, but they didn't use that pain and suffering 
that they used in training didn't realize that they needed to apply that in, in the event, in the climb, in the hunt. And because they didn't practice that, that's the failure. Yeah. And, and, and fatigue and that failure can get you hurt. Hmm. What you just described there is like, you know, I th think of it as being fully present, fully engaged, fully on, as you said, you're from the moment you wake up and unzip your tent, you're doing all these different things, scanning, looking, sanitizing the area, uh, as you're moving through mountainous country, you know, you're checking every foothold, looking at every obstacle and all that. Yeah. It's such a different way to live than most of us live day to day. We just live so distracted and like here and there. And we're thinking about five different things at once and all of that. And for me, I know that getting into the backcountry, that's one of the reasons I love it is like, I just enter a completely different mental and physical state of like, this is all there is. This is what I'm doing. I don't have to worry about my phone going off or what have you. Is that part of the appeal to you of what you find in the mountains and especially being solo is just that, that engagement, um, that you have with the mountain. Absolutely. And I, <clears throat> and I learned that lesson when I started college, I was an avid fly fisherman. I started fly fishing when I was seven. And just a side note, the worst thing that ever happened to fly fishing was a movie. But, um, that said, um, I, 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 I was, a, I, I was very good at fly fishing until I started college. And when I went off to school, um, I was able to fly fish where I was going to school, but exactly. I had so many other influences in my life that I would go and I'd say, okay, I've got a, uh, you know, I got a couple hours. I'm going to go up and, and, and fish up here on this river that I'm, you know, I've been doing and I get up there and I sucked. And it was because I didn't become a part of the river. I took my college speed, you know, hey, I got to run up here. I'm going to fish for two hours, go back down and study for an exam. No, you can't do that. No, you, you can't. I had a guy one time, uh, he was a, a veterinarian um, in South Carolina, and he was, I always wanted to learn to sail. And we went out and we came back from sailing one day on his boat. It was like a 10 meter boat. It was, he was a big, he raced him and his wife raced with sailboats. And I asked him, I said, Gene, I said, you know, what's something like this cost? And he immediately came back to me and he says, you can't afford it. I said, no, I, I got a little upset in my brain. I'm thinking, how does he know how much money I have? And I said, Gene, no, 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 really. If I could borrow money from a bank, how much would I need to borrow? How much? And he looked at me again. He said, Dave, you can't afford it. And I kind of looked at him and he grabbed my hand and he pointed at my watch. He says, you can't afford the time. He said, the minute you quit wearing this watch, you can sail. And I, it's the same thing as in the mountains. Throw the watch away. You, 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 you've got to watch. If you've got to be somewhere, if you've got to do something, then buddy, you, you, you can't afford it. You're wasting your time. Yeah. Poor pun, I guess. But throw the watch away. What, what are you wearing a watch for? That, that's my first question when we go to meet to go out and hunt. I say, what, what's it for? Why? Get rid of it. You know, we, we do this via the sun. We do this via rain. We, you know, you, you, exactly. You got to get away from everything. And then once you've done that, once you've sanitized yourself, and now you begin to see what you're looking at. 
and hear what you're listening to. I, 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 that see what I'm looking at came from a, one of my flight instructors when I was in flight school. Um, and that's basically when I was learning to get my instrument ready. That's basically what he told me. He said, Dave, you got to see what you're looking at. I go, what do you mean? He says, you looked at that altimeter, but did you see it? What did it say? You know, because he watched me look at it. And I go, uh, he said, you didn't, you didn't see it. You got to, it'll, it'll save your life. You got to see it. See what you're looking at. And the same thing applies in the mountains. Yeah, you saw the side of that mountain, but did you see those rams up there? Yeah, I've, I've sanitized that mountain. I've glassed that mountain. Really? Take a look at it again. Why? Because they still have their watch on. They're doing it too fast. You know, they just, it's like slow down. That's one thing I enjoy about the more extended hunts. You know, it seems like it takes me three to four days to finally like get, uh, just get out of my own head and and relax and just be present in the mountains. And it, uh, when you hit that point, it's, it's freaking awesome. But that's unfortunately most guys don't get that far. You said three days. I mentioned yeah. 72 hours before. They leave. They, they don't get beyond that. You know, it's kind of like running the marathon on the wall. You know, they hit the wall and they're done. It's like, no, just get through it. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. Yeah, you just got to give it time. And, and the more times you do this, the more times you realize you leave the watch at home. You know, it's done. You, you, you're you're looking, you, you, it's part of your mental build. You're, you're looking forward to dropping that iPhone, getting rid of the com- computer, getting rid of all this stuff. You know, you get excited. I saw Tyler get excited about his hunt before, before, uh, you know, I, when he, when Steve, had already left and he came back and he was with his wife and he was just getting excited again. You could see his batteries were getting charged. And yeah, yeah that's the attitude. Again, it's the mental attitude, you know, attitude will get you altitude, not athleticism. And anyway, yeah. So what's your advice for guys to gain mental toughness, um, you know, when they're sitting on their couch at home and, uh, you know, middle of the country? Right. How do you you plan and prep for that, you know? Right. When you hit hit the gym or you do any type of workouts, and we haven't talked anything about that yet, but um, it's going to be pain. But focus on what feels good that drink of water when you're on that Stairmaster. It, your legs are about ready to get shot, but look at that bottle of water and you go, man, this is gonna taste good. And, and, and enjoy what goes into your mouth and what goes down and feel how it changes the, your, your, your inner core. Those, it, it, I'm telling you guys, it's just the simple little things that you need to focus on um, that make you feel good. If you're thinking about your legs, forget it. And you do, you, you build this mental toughness Every time you go hit the gym, when you're on your couch, yeah, it feels good right there. But man, that's not going to get you a ram. That's not going to get you a mini summit. Get off the couch, get out there. You know, you're going to go through pain. I always tell guys when you first start every morning, even on Denali, wherever we're at. And these guys, great mental toughness, great this, great that. Probably about 10, 15 days into into our expedition. I always look at them. I said, just prior to us kicking off, I said, you know what? The first 20 minutes, what you're thinking is the same 20 is the same thing I'm thinking in my first 20 minutes. And they look at me funny. They say, what do you mean? I says, I think about quitting. And I know you are too, but you get through that. And that's, 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 that's 15, 20 days into a 30 day expedition. It's just getting the crap back on again, getting started. The minute you start going up that mountain to that mini summit that you have set, your brain is saying, stop, this is stupid. Why? Because it's one of the hardest things the human body can do, which is climb, go up, 
anybody can go down, but going up sucks. And your brain is going to tell you that. And your brain is going to say, stop, this is stupid. But you got to go through it. And it, that, that, it's a fleeting thought, but it goes through everybody's mind. No matter where you're at in the hunt, no matter where you're at in, in your expedition, it goes through your brain every time. Hmm. I'm always amazed to come back to um, how much of this is mental. And by that, I don't just mean like, yeah, it sucks, like, but be strong, think through it. But I mean, like at a much deeper level, like you were analyzing the process you're 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 thinking about how you're thinking if that makes sense so it's not just oh, mental oh yeah. in terms of like be positive even though it sucks blah, blah blah you're truly like thinking about how you're thinking and understanding that your thinking is determining your outcome therefore you're careful with how you're thinking um it's just so and important I, well you, you you nailed it it's understand how you're thinking yeah, because we're all going to have thoughts, right? Like you exactly. just said, you're, you're all going to think this sucks. Climbing this mountain sucks. And you yeah. can end there or you can think deeper about that thought. And what, what, what gets you through that is that athlete next to you is thinking the same thing. I mean, you talk to anyone, you talk to world-class athletes in races. They all know everybody's enduring the same pain, but he's still going. Well, damn it, I am too. And then I'm going to beat them. You know, it's the same thing climbing. It's, it's we're, we're human. Our brain is in preservation mode all the time. It's always telling us, ah, don't do this. Okay. And, and by, by doing it, we have to practice doing that. That goes back to what I said earlier. You got to practice your suffering. You got to train. You know, you got to, you got to practice getting off the couch. Okay. You got to practice getting out of the, the nice, uh, air mattress, you know, it's raining outside. I know it sucks, but we got to go on out there and put that tent back up again. So the meat doesn't spoil, you know, it, it, that's all a part of, and guess what? That's a mini summit. Cause you went out there, you came back and you did it. You yeah. know, it was a success. It blows. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> you know, you draw straws in the tent. Who's going to go on out there and put it back up, I'm, you know, but you do it. You know, and, and when you're, when you're solo, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into training uh, a little bit. It was one of the topics we wanted to hit today. And obviously just based on your introduction, you've covered um, some of the experiences you've had, not just hunting or being in the mountains, but triathlons, alpine climbing, mountaineering, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. I was excited when steve was telling me a bit about you uh to hear that you were 60 you mentioned up front that maybe that's a, a detriment but to me my ears are like super tuned in because a you have uh, more experience and knowledge to lean on because you've you've done a lot over the years but b i'm tuned in because steve and i both being in our mid-30s both have the desire to continue to hunt hard uh into our 60s and steve even told me earlier today before the podcast that you would kick our ass up a mountain any day of the week even though we're in our mid 30s so uh talk about training i, I want to hear about maybe some specifics i know you mentioned you just did a 24-week program i want to tie in you know kind of that longevity piece uh, i know it's a big question but let's just kind of dive into a bit of what you do currently and maybe where that has come from in terms of your experience and what you've learned over the years okay yeah first of all i'm not a i'm not a physician um, and I didn't sleep at a motel six. So, um, most of my stuff comes from experience 
and a lot of reading. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, tons and tons and tons of mistakes. And, but I've been around some of the best coaches in the world. Um, uh, there's a lot of them that, that, um, I won't name names, but they have everything to do with hockey and endurance training and, um, triathlons. Um, the, to begin with, and I'll be very frank, uh, it's, you gotta have good DNA. Okay. I hate to say it. I mean, it's, it's, you gotta begin with that. I mean, if you're built like a power lifter with a lot of, um, fast twitch muscle fiber, then you're probably not going to you know, win the Boston marathon and synonymous with the guy who's got the slow twitch can win the Boston and never be able to bench over 225. Um, but most of us fall in somewhere in between, you know, I had an epiphany one time I ran my first marathon. I did it in 315, and I went back into the gym. I was in the Pentagon at the time and I did a lot of training and, and I went back into the gym right after the marathon and I went to bench uh, my four sets of 225 and I couldn't even bench 135. And I went, you got to be kidding me. That completely lost um, my strength because I was, I was on a marathon training program. So then I, I went up into the office and I told the guys and they're all laughing at me. I said, hey, screw you guys, man. Next year, I'm going to bench at 315. And I'm at that morning, I'm going to bench 315. I'm going to run a 315 marathon that af- that, uh, right after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. I tried. And I think I got about four to five weeks into the program and realized this is a while ago before I need, I got real smart on it. Uh, you just can't do it all, mm. um, but you can do it all very well. And um, so most of us have the DNA to do it. <clears throat> we are human beings and you got to take a look at what the human, our, our, physiolo- our physiological makeup and what we're designed to do. And I always ask people, I says, you know, was your, was your, was your great grandfather, was he, was he obese? And they'd say, no. I said, well, was he training? Did he train for marathons? And he said, no. And you look, was he strong? And they go, oh, hell yeah. I said, well, what did he do? I mean, he's the same as you and I. What he did is he got up in the morning and he had breakfast and he went out and he worked all day on the back 40. Okay. And I found out in flight school when we were going through survival training, you know, I had guys tell me that, you know, our instructors tell you that, Hey dude, you know, shy of, you know, if you have water, you don't need food. You know, you, you, your body is designed to survive. You know, you can go a month and it, what it does is the body was going to consume what it has to survive, which is fat. And when it uses fat, fat molecule burns three times hotter than any other molecule you can put in your body for energy. And so when I was going through my, my trials as an athlete, you know, I ran my first marathon and we were carbo loading the night before and hitting the wall at 22 miles. Well, today you got guys running back to back hundred milers with hardly eating. And I, I would say in the last 15 years, endurance athletes have completely revolutionized athleticism, competitive sports, my ability to survive and do what I do in the mountains. 
And that is to train the body to consume fat for energy because that's what it's designed to do. I mean, the minute you eat fat, what does the body do to it? It stores it because it's going to say it's, it's trying to survive. It's saying to itself, hey, I'm gonna, I may need that one day. I'm not going to use it now. I'm just going to use this other stuff that you have. And this other stuff that you have, if you don't use it, it'll turn it into fat to store it. And if we know that that fat molecule burns three times hotter, well, God, wouldn't it be nice to carry one third less the food? And that's what these guys do in their training. They're, they're running back to back, you know, hundred milers eating goo packs. They're not hitting the wall. They're not carbo loading. They're not doing all the things that we used to do as a, as an endurance athlete. So that's kind of the way I train now. I train like my great grandfather did when he worked. It was a lifestyle of, of getting my body to consume fat for energy. So I can hit the mountains at 60 years old and climb 3000 feet. You know, I, you know, without, without any weight, I can do 2,500 foot an hour. You know, um, I can carry a, you know, two forty-five pound plates up a thousand feet in an hour. Um, so yeah, it, it, and, and yeah, I've got some DNA, but I've trained my body to consume fat for that energy. And with the mental toughness that you try to build, you find yourself that, man, I just, I just got off the couch and I just took 90 pounds up a thousand feet and came back down. Um, so yeah. And, and the other thing is I always, like I said earlier, you know, I used to tell people there is no off season past 50 and there's, and, and that could have been the biggest mistake that I could have ever made is yeah, there better be an off season. You need to recover and rest. Your body needs to heal. And we all understand that we go, okay, yeah, we modulate our, our workouts. You know, we'll do weights one day and endurance the next because our fast twist twitch muscles, you know, need recovery. Yeah, we get all that, but guess what? You need to do that completely. You need to pull yourself out of the mountains and get away from that stuff to let your mind and your full body heal. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> the, the, I do, I modulate my workouts. I do have a season. Um, I pay attention to, you see most athletes. I mean, remember the athletes from, uh, the, the old national football league, the guys are always kind of hobbling around, you know, they're 50, they can't even walk anymore. You know, they just, they destroyed their bodies because they didn't let them heal. And that's very important, especially when you're talking about what we're doing to our bodies. Guys, we're carrying weight up mountains in unstable terrain. I mean, your body, your muscles, all your nerve endings are firing at a thousand percent. That's stress. You know, you, you, if you're training like that and, and, and you don't stop, if you don't modulate, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do it as a lifestyle. And I choose to do it as a lifestyle, you know? I, 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 turn, I learned to turn it off. Dive more into um, that component of burning fat as fuel yeah. specifically for those efforts. Um, is that, okay. I, I'm sure it's partially both how you fuel in a 24 hour cycle as well as how you're specifically then fueling for that training event. But uh, how have you uh, trained your body to use fat as a fuel source? Okay. Yeah. Great question. Uh, nutrition is a completely different subject and I won't even, I won't even talk about it. Well, like I said, these, let's talk about how to 
convert your body to consuming fat for energy. <clears throat> um, I always tell guys when you, when you want to, and I take guys up in the mountains all the time for the first time, they, they, they want to go on up and they want to start to do, they want this lifestyle. They want to try doing it. And I would say, okay, find a place where you've got an easy, easy hike, you know, just as, hypothetically, let's just say it's a couple of switchbacks that go up a thousand feet on an easy, easy grade. I said, put a rock in your pocket, go up this thousand feet. Don't breathe any harder than if you have to open your mouth to breathe. If you're opening your mouth to breathe, you're going too fast. Okay. When you get to that thousand feet, drop the rock and leave it there because we're going to come back to it in about six weeks. And then we start a training program that basically does the same thing, which does nothing more than, you've heard about it, the, the fat the, the fat burning um, pace. Um, what you're trying to do is build your aerobic capacity. And in building your aerobic capacity, you can put your strength on top of that. It's like building a house, you gotta have a good foundation. Your aerobic capacity is your foundation. And by building your aerobic capacity, by getting that aerobic capacity large, a large volume of it, you're training your heart at a certain level and you're training your body to consume fat to build that aerobic capacity. What is that? That's endurance, okay? Any good endurance athlete can have explosive power to, to, to jump to the next rock, to, to squat, uh, a pack up on their back. That explosive work is there in a fast twitch muscle sense. But to carry that pack for 10 miles is your aerobic capacity. Your strength got it up there. Work, you know, work is, is, is force over vertical distance. Yeah, you got it up on your back, but can you walk 10 miles with it? Okay, that's your aerobic capacity. So if we build that aerobic capacity, the pack can go up. If we've got great uh, muscular power and no aerobic capacity, we get to pack up, but you can't walk. Well, then we've defeated our purpose as mountain athletes. So to get your body to consume that fat, you have to put yourself in that fat burning mode or endurance mode of working out endurance wise, no faster than just that when your mouth is open, when just at the point where your mouth is, is needs to open to breathe. And if you do this over time, what you're telling your body is, well, I guess we're going to be here a while. It's kind of like the guy who gets shot down over the Pacific and he's in his life raft and he's been there for two weeks. The body's already figured out, well, I guess we're going to be here a while. It starts to consume fat. When you start your workouts, and your workouts are low intensity for long durations, like we do in the mountains, okay? We're gonna be there where that, that, that mini summit, that 750 foot climb is gonna be a while because you're hunting along the way as you go up. You're gonna be, you're gonna be doing it in two hours. Your body is saying, I guess we're gonna be here a while. Forget what's in the stomach, forget the sugar, forget the carbohydrates, let's go right to fat. And it's burning three times hotter, which means you're getting three times that energy you need. Okay, so to do that, you need your, your endurance training needs to be that way. And so getting back to that guy who walked up a thousand feet with a rock, now the body physiologically, depending on who you are, it, 
changes over time into that fat burning mode. Some people does maybe four weeks, three weeks. Some people take six weeks. Because now once your body has changed and converted to consuming fat for energy, you can do just about anything. Go play hockey. Go play football with your kid. Go do anything. Anything that you're doing, your body's always going to be consuming fat. You're going to like, your whole life is going to go like, oh, I feel good today. I did this. I did that. But, you know, six weeks ago, I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. But your body now is saying, no matter what you do, if I have a good aerobic capacity and that's how I train my aerobic capacity, if I go play hockey with the buds on Saturday night, you know, in the old timers league, they're going to go, man, Dave, where'd you get your wheels, man? You got great legs tonight. It's because your body's consuming fat. So now you get back to that guy and you go, okay, remember that six weeks ago when you went up that, that those uh, switchbacks with the rock now go up and do it. And the rock's still there. Take a look at your watch. Now, the first time he did it, he took an hour. Next time he did it, he's still breathing through his mouth or through his nose, gets to the top. He's done it in 35 minutes. His, his, if you focus on the, the most essential muscle of the body, which is the heart, all the other muscles are going to follow. And if you take what the body's designed to do, which is, cons- is just to burn fat as its primary energy source, because it stores it all the time. If you can convert your body to do that, you've just built your tremendous aerobic capacity. Therefore, you can survive in the mountains. Hmm. So when guys hear a workout and they immediately think super high intensity, you're advocating for this uh, aerobic base that it's the opposite of that. As you said, it's it's moving at that pace uh, where you don't need to necessarily breathe hard, full respiratory system, and then doing that for longer durations. Every workout has a purpose. And unfortunately, our society would like a pill to cure cancer. Our society wants a quick fix. Our society doesn't know how to change a tire. It just soon call somebody to do it for them. Okay. It's work. It's work. It's what your grand, great grandfather did. He worked. Yeah. You want. It's funny how the alpine side of me, I go and I talk to all the alpinists and the mountaineering, they assimilate, their goal is to emulate a mountain hunter. (laughs) And because they look at us and they go, oh my God, you guys carry all that heavy weight up those mountains. And we're always carrying weight and doing the aerobic capacity. You know, most guys summit, you know, they're not carrying anything. So they think, if they can get their body like ours, because they see pictures of us, that they can be a better alpinist. Um, but all of those workouts, those 90 minute, or not 90 minutes, 90 second workouts, the, hey, get a six pack ab in two minutes or whatever, you gotta put the work in. Now, those explosive workouts have a, have a place in the way I work out, but it's at a different time and it's for a different reason. I'll do the explosive workouts or the muscular strength when I'll carry those 90 pound or that 245 pound plates up a mountain after I've built my aerobic capacity. We have to start with that aerobic capacity. We have to train our body to do what it's designed to do, which is burn fat for energy and tell our body in training 
because that's what we're going to be doing in the real world when we're mountain hunting is we're going to be here forever. We're going to be here a while. We're in the mountains. This is again, we're in the mountains for 10 days. We have, we have a thousand mini summits to achieve, you know? So yeah, this isn't, this isn't, I, I don't want to use any cliche workout programs, but it isn't 20 minutes of high intensity. That's a part of my workout. That's in week 17, whatever, but it's not at the beginning. We have to build the aerobic capacity. Once we get our body like that, once we get the engine, I'll put it to you this way. Um, what this program, and, and I didn't come up with it, by the way, this, this, this program, it's, it's, uh, I've got, I've read so many books and talked to so many coaches and, and uh, it's this younger generation. It's your generation did this, that you guys stumbled across this and revolutionized endurance sports, your generation. And um, it's a book out there that I highly recommend to everybody. It's called Training for the New Alpinism. Is that Twite? Uh, what's that? Is that Mark Twite? Uh, Mark Twite. Uh, Johnston and Scott are the two authors. Oh, okay. It's called Training for the New Alpinism. Um, and it basically talks about what I've been talking about. And what, what ended up happening was, um, you know, I, I always tell guys, okay, well, my dad's generation tried to climb Everest, you know, 300 guys went to base camp. One guy made it to the top. They all got a t-shirt, you know, uh, my generation in the nineties, we all had to make it to the top. Okay. Your generation, you're doing it in 12 hours. And, you know, we look at it and go, how the hell did that kid do that? Okay. Now I won't get into the ethics of mountaineering and all that other crap, alpinism. And, but I look at it and go, how did that athlete just do that? You know, it takes me, you know, climb high, sleep low, four day cycles of two weeks. And he did it in 12 hours. Now I wouldn't advise that because you can die of an, of an edema. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't suggest it, but that just said to me, these kids came across something and what they did is unbeknownst to them, they tapped into the fact that they were burning fat for energy and they found this huge resource of energy. And I take that resource of energy with their training and I apply strength to it. The explosive work, the weightlifting, the, what it takes to be a mountain hunter, you know, I have that aerobic base, but does everybody have a mountain in their backyard? No. Does everybody have an ice rink in their backyard? No. So when you get to the mountain or when you do pay for that ice time for that one hour of ice time, you want to show up in shape. You want to be practicing stick handling drills. You want to get on the mountain and practice some of your techniques of climbing. You don't want to be tired because you only have so much time on that mountain or in that rink. I want to show up with my best endurance capability so I don't get tired, so I can practice some of my finesse or some of the art of my sport or my mountaineering or my hunting. Okay. I got to show up in shape. And that's what that your generation discovered for my generation, which allows me at 60 and I'm going to be doing this at 70. And now I look back at the guys that I met who 
guide at 70 years old. And they exist today here in Alaska. They're mountain hunting guides at 70 in these lodges. And that's essentially, they are the, my great grandfather. That's how they, they apply their lifestyle. They have a huge aerobic capacity. Yeah, they got great DNA. Get it? You know? Yeah. Okay. You know, you got to start with that. But that's how they trained. They didn't know what they were doing, but they did it. And that's why they're still healthy and are able to do the things that you and I want to do that we don't have a lot of time to do. You know, you're going to, Steve, you spend all sorts of money and time and effort to get up here. You know, I, I, I respect that. You know, that, and, and you have that finite time. The last thing you want to do is get up here and fail because you're not in shape, you know? Yeah. So if that's a goal in your life, like you have professionally, you know, like you have with your family and raising your children, and this is, this is a goal that you put on that same level, then, you know, guess what? It's got to be a lifestyle. You know, you got to get off the couch. It's not a 20-minute workout, you know? Um, and, and one of the greatest things I can tell a mountain hunter is if you have that aerobic capacity, then you can draw and have your sight alignment and your sight picture and release that arrow and do everything you possibly could do to have a, a, a prosecute a, a good kill on an animal that, that, that you respect you know, you want to be able to do that. You owe that animal that much. And that's, that's the end result. That's the finish line. And we all want to get there and have the situational awareness and the physical capability of employing that lethal conscious decision of taking that life ethically. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, and, and we owe that. This uh, might sound like a random question, but it's just something I thought of uh, as you're talking through that segment. I'm just curious for you, you know, you're, you're training year round. You're obviously in very good shape going into a hunt. Do you still like, let's say you're going on this 10 day sheep hunt. Are you still going to come out of that lighter? I mean, how much weight will you use already starting lean and fit and well-trained do you still lose significant weight on a long mountain hunt like that? Well, I, do you want me to lie to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> because I just, one of my mini summits is I, I start eating anything I want during my taper weeks. Uh -huh. So yeah, I'm, I'm slamming down ice cream and I, I tell, yeah, I can, I'm, I can afford to g gain a little bit of weight because I'm going to lose it out on the hunt. To be right. honest with you, you're, you, you can be 4% body fat and there's enough fat surrounding your internal organs of your body to allow you to succeed a 30-day mountain hunt. Yeah. So will I lose weight? I would hope not. I try not to. I try to go in with the, an optimum weight and leave with an optimum weight because that tells me my body wasn't, uh, I didn't trash my body. Mm -hmm. You know, I went in at, I, you know, I started the fight at 145. I finished the fight at 145. Yeah, I'm going to lose uh, um, water weight. I hope not. And that's, that's probably that's a good segue into the weight loss thing is part of this training and weight loss 
and I, I, I thank God I don't skip this, is hydration. Hydration does everything. It lubricates, it cools, it does everything for our body. And I said that before, I said, you know, when you, we could survive out in a raft, so long as we have water to drink, we could survive days, weeks. You have to drink. And if, we, if you stay hydrated, all of these parts work efficiently. And what I do when I first, so how do I measure my hydration? How do I measure the fact that I don't get behind? Because if I get behind, my fat quits burning and, I, and my endurance shuts down. My body starts to shut down. So I practice. What I do is I always ask people, I said, do you ever watch a hockey game? And they go, yeah. I said, what are the guys doing on the bench? They're constantly squirting water in their mouth and spitting, constantly squirting. They're constantly hydrating. And I always tell people, does the swimmer sweat? And they go, yeah, well, obviously. But does he, does he know it? No. Or she know it? No. I mean, they're in the water. Okay, so you, you have to hydrate. And so when you go out on your workout, before you work out, you have a start weight. Say it's 180 pounds. When you finish your workout, weigh yourself. If you're 178 point, or if you're 179.8, you didn't hydrate enough. You need to drink another 0.2 pounds of water. So stay there, drink that 0.2 pounds of water, get on the scale, leave at 178 or whatever you were at, 180, whatever, okay? And by doing that, when you do that same workout, you'll say to yourself, well, I only took two drinks of water the last time. I need to take four now. So you get off and you, get, you, you finish the workout the same way you started with the workout, okay? And eventually you're going to see, you're going to start the workout one day at 180. You're going to finish at 180. And then a week later, you're going to start the workout at 176. You're going to finish at 176. And what you're doing is you're losing weight that way, but you're retaining your, your hydration. Okay. And by retaining your hydration, you're allowing your body because water, if, if you're on a high altitude mountain and you're not drinking water and you get behind and you become dehydrated, you, you get frostbite your body starts to shut down. Um, I, you, you, your capillaries, your, your, when your, your capillaries start to close. You can look at, you can roll back an eyelid and, and see that it's white, not red anymore because it's white because your eyelids, the capillaries behind your eyelids have, have shut down. You're, you're going to become hypothermic. Um, those are some of the things we look at uh, with a climber, you know, is their body shutting down? And it's because they get behind on, on hydration. Your body is not working efficiently. Therefore, your aerobic capacity is being decreased. So one of the most important things you can do in your workout routines is hydrate and monitor your hydration by measuring your weight before you work out, before you go out and climb that mountain or before you go out and run that five miles, come back and weigh the same. Carry the water. Carry the water in your hand, on your back, whatever, but hydrate along the way because you're going to do that in the mountains too. You can't get behind. That's one of the big things. Boy, you're, I've seen guys, especially on cold high altitude expeditions, just all of a sudden it's over. And for me, even when I go on the sheep hunt, I'll stop every 45 minutes. I stop no matter where I'm at and I drink. I drink water. Um, so, yeah, that getting back to the weight thing. I'm part, sorry I segued into that. but No, it's good um, info. Yeah, the, the weight thing, um, you're going to see your weight decrease as you're doing your 24-week mountaineering expedition program that I just finished. I, I start my workouts. I weigh myself. 
I finish my workout. I weigh myself. If I've lost any weight during that workout, I hydrate before I leave the gym. I hydrate before I go up to my room. If I'm on a trip, I hydrate in, in, my, in, in my room. I get that water back and it trains me to hydrate that much during that specific workout. And when I'm in the mountains, I'm constantly drinking water. You have to. You're going to lose weight. If you stay lubricated by hydration and you're doing your workouts, your ability to transfer to fat for consumption happens faster and more efficiently because you're giving your body all the oil and coolant it needs to be very efficient. If you, do, if you become dehydrated, your body shuts down and it quits doing things that you need it to do. So mm. the long way to answer your question is I hopefully I finished my, my sheep hunt at the same weight I started. Got and it. if I didn't, it's because I didn't train properly. It's nice. <laughs> I mean, it looks good on the scale, but it, to me, I probably, I probably would have looked back and was like, man, now I know why day eight, I sucked, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, it's obviously uh, normal for most guys to lose weight and guys talk about it all the time. You know, guys who go from the couch to the elk mountains or what have you, or on a sheep hunt, like it's normal to go on an extended hunt and lose weight. I was curious from your perspective, already starting fit and lean if you also lose weight. And part of that was fresh in mind just because I finished a six day hunt and went into it in pretty good shape and still lost like five pounds. Um, that wasn't just water weight. Like here, 10 days later, I'm still below. Um, so I was just curious what your experience was. At, you at you will. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you will. You can, I, I'll get off my high horse now. Yes, you will lose weight. Yeah. And that tells me that, you, you know, the weight you lost was fat. Hmm. You didn't lose water weight. You, your body was consuming fat because what did it say? You were going to be there. Those days were long and hard and the body does transition over. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it is. It, you did. You, people will go, wow, you look skinnier. You came back from the weight and you kind of go, wow, my jeans just fell off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you, your body's, the human body is, is, is amazing. You know, it sat there probably day two, 48 hours into this going, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, he's going to be here a while. Yeah. Got it. Um, you mentioned your training. You just mentioned a name there in that last segment prior. You mentioned doing a 24 week program. Talk about this. Pro is it, is this program something you've put together kind of a mix mash of other resources? Is this, do you follow something that's just out there? Here's this plan. I follow it by the book. What does that look like for you? I, I use again, it's, uh, the training for the new alpinism. Um, Johnson and Scott, um, I'll let you guys do the research on them. I'm not here to push their book or make them money. Um, but I know some of their, uh, their coaches, um, I stumbled across them, um, about 10 years ago. Um, like I said, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've read a lot of books. Um, but their programs, uh, I, I put together a hybrid of one of their programs, things that work for me. It's a mountaineering program. Um, but I got to take it to the mountains here for sheep hunting. So I'll tailor it a bit more towards strength, you know, the fast muscle twitch, I'll get my aerobic capacity up, but I'll do more muscular endurance on my legs, um, that I would need on a say Denali trip because I'm not carrying that heavy a weight you know, on summit day. 
Um, so it's a hybrid of, of a mountaineering workout that they have, a 24, 24 week mountaineering workout. And that mountaineering workout is to take a guy or a person, a woman to be able to achieve uh, high altitude mountains, uh, K2, Everest, Aconcagua, any, any expedition style climbing, mountaineering, not, alp not alpine. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a 24 week program that I, that I do. And it's, um, I highly recommend, um, uh, a heart rate monitor, <laughs> a heart rate monitor watch, but the monitor around the chest, the watch, the wrist monitor doesn't work that well for the fidelity that you need for this training and, uh, uphill athlete, um, is, uh, is the name of the website. And I don't notice it said uphill athlete. It's any, any athlete that goes uphill um, or has hills in their athletic event um, or endurance uh, in their athletic event. And I use a program called Training Peaks. Um, I know there's tons of them out there, but Training Peaks is blended well with uphill athlete, which is, uh, a f uh, works well with uh, Johnson and Scott's um, book. If you were to become a member of their website, you can, there's about a seven hour course. It's a full day course for their coaches that talks about what I just talked about. Um, and it talks about the book. Um, it talks about, uh, the book is like an engineering manual or a, or a medical journal. It, it reads like that, you know, pretty much every sentence has a meaning. Um, so uh, it's not light reading. Um, a lot of annotation, a lot of notes in the, in the, in the uh, margins for me. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, um, it's a great, great boilerplate to get started, uh, for any mountain hunter. Um, I, I, I'm hands down, I, I'm happy in my generation, your generation taught us how to do what I love to do better. Um, um, had you guys not come around, uh, you know, other than that 70 year old uh, guide in, you know, the mountain lodge here in Alaska who doesn't open his mouth, but stumbled across this lifestyle or this, his workout routines or our great grandparents, um, I'd have never discovered it. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be doing what I do today had I not. Um, and I'm just as strong today as I was back when I was your age. Um, yeah, I climbed with guys in their twenties. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's allowing me to do what I'm about ready to do here in the next 48 hours. Yeah. That's awesome. Steve, you got any, uh, questions for this? I know that, uh, there's a lot more we could cover. I'd, I'd love to get you back on after your hunts as well, but Steve, anything for this one that you want to make sure we hit? Uh, yeah, I think we kind of covered the basis of everything. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I got the opportunity and to hang out with Dave a bunch there at his house and just hear him tell stories for hours. And I think very cool perspective of kind of the alpinism side of it, you know, carrying over into the hunting side. It's not a, a viewpoint you get often. I don't imagine there's, maybe there's more crossover than I realized of the actual athletes doing it. But, um, I just really enjoyed just listening to Dave and picking up a lot of little things that uh you know you can kind of apply to to what we're doing and uh, yeah. just get better out there um, and i love the 
again, the, uh, Dave, as you put it, uh, attitude over gets you altitude. Um, cause it's mm-hmm. you know, like, that's such a key part to the whole element. It does. It, it really does. And, and I think the biggest mistake and the biggest tragedy, let's face it, guys, we're, we're, we're in the mountains. Okay. It's a dangerous business. I mean, it's, you know, all the, all the fluff, all the talk, everything you can get hurt out there. I mean, and, and you gotta be safe. And one of the rules that I live by is I never let my expectations exceed my capabilities. Okay. You just, you, you guys gotta be safe out there. You gotta train hard and, um, you know, just become a part of the mountain, see what you're looking at and hear what you're listening to. You'll be a good hunter. Be yeah. safe. Awesome. Well, we appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck on your hunts. And we'll be sure to uh, follow up and hear some stories, maybe get you back on to tell some of those stories. Sounds good. And I'll weigh myself before I leave. And when I get back, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on this one, guys. Don't forget, as we're uh, finishing September here and getting into October, to let us know how your seasons are going. Just shoot us that email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, whether that's to tell us about your season or just ask us a question for a future episode. We'd love to hear from you there and appreciate the continued support.